0: This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website, www.anchorchurch.com.au. Well, good morning. Is anyone feeling a little bit motivated after that? Let's go. (laughs) Ah, I love a good training montage. Well, hey, I want to say uh, very... Warm welcome to you. Add my warm welcome to Hannah's. My name is James. I'm one of the pastors here on staff at Anchor. And I'm excited to be bringing a message to us this morning. So why don't you join me? Let's pray together and uh, let's ask God to give us the ears to hear what it is that He wants to say to us this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you are a speaking God. And we thank you that you. You know each and every one of us, Lord, and you've brought each and every one of us to be in this room this morning. And so we come to you now, Lord, and ask that you would give us the ears to hear what it is that you want to say to us, the hearts that are soft and open and unguarded to receive what it is that you want to speak into our lives, Lord, into our hearts, into our lives. Thank you, God for what it is that you want to do in this time. I pray that you use me in the way that you would desire. I pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. Well, I want to welcome you to Anchor at the Movies, a little bit different the first couple of weeks of this year. And uh, as I said, my name is James. I'm one of the pastors here. And look, what we're doing over these couple of weeks, last week, this week, next week, is we're looking at a couple of movies Some of our favorite movies, and the messages behind them. Movies, songs, TV shows, media, popular culture in general is a powerful shaping force in our lives. It shapes the culture around us. Movies, in particular, they speak messages, they tell us stories that they want us to think about and believe and perhaps even to live by. Whether we're aware of it or not, media, the media that we consume each and every day, like this movie that I have consumed many times, is shaping us. It is, to put it in biblical terms, perhaps even discipling us in the way that we think and in the worldview that we hold to be true. And so the question For those of us in the room today who would call ourselves Christians, who would identify as followers of Jesus, the question for us is, are those stories and are those messages aligned with the stories and messages of the Christian faith? Are are we being shaped and discipled by popular media in a way that actually draws us deeper into relationship with God, deeper into our faith? Or does it actually pull us further away? Are the movies that we consume helping or are they hindering our relationship with God? And so what we want to do over these three weeks is not just to look at a movie and talk about it, not just for you to to sit and listen and consume but I want to give you a little bit of a model of what it looks like, a bit of an example of what it looks like to critique the messages that our culture is preaching to us. Because you better believe that our culture is preaching to us. I mean, you come to church, the gathered church on a Sunday morning for maybe an hour and a half, two hours on a Sunday. Where are you getting the messages the rest of your week? Who or what is speaking to you, is preaching to you? The rest of the week, what are the messages that you are absorbing, whether critically or perhaps uncritically? And here at Anchor, we want to be at people whose faith convictions are so grounded and are so deep that we actually notice when alternate stories and alternate messages are being dangled in front of us, when they pop up on our Netflix screen as that new true crime show pops up, that new soap maybe, the new season of uh, Emily in Paris. Ultimately see we want our faith in Jesus to shape the way that we interact with the messages, the media, the popular culture around us not the other way around. And so this morning the movie that I've chosen to take us through to look at is the sports drama called Creed and I chose this movie for a couple of reasons. Firstly I love the movie. Secondly, I love Michael B. Jordan. And also because I think that there's benefit for us in looking at the messages and stories that it tells us. And I think what we're going to find as we look at it is that some of these stories align. Some of these stories actually agree with biblical ideas and biblical principles, while others we may find to be lacking, or perhaps even at odds with the message of the gospel. And this is what cultural critique looks like it looks like putting the messages and the narratives of our culture under the microscope and evaluating them from a biblical world view so if you have a pen, if you have a notepad, if you have some kind of note-taking device on your phone, I encourage you to, to, to whip that out, make use of that, you know, second week of the year, back at church on a Sunday. We're not just here to consume, we're here to, to listen, we're here to reflect, we're here to grapple with the things that we're being told, and each of us has access to a Bible where we can actually go and check those things that we're hearing as well, that we're not blind hearers, but we're actually studying the Word, we're wrestling with the messages. And so this morning, what I want to do is look at three key messages, okay? Three key themes that are central to the movie. If you haven't seen it, I've heard from a few people, you haven't seen it, that's okay. We're going to test how good I am at, you know, being clear and explaining the movie because I don't think it's that complicated. So we're going to look at three key messages from the movie and we're going to see how they align with the Christian worldview. And what do we have to learn from them? You know, we're going to be asking questions like, what can we learn from this movie? What can we learn from these messages? And how does the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, perhaps speak a better and truer message instead? So the first message that I want to tell you about that this movie preaches, that it teaches, the first key message that I picked up from watching Creed is about the importance of hard work. If you're taking notes, the message is this, in quotation marks, hard work can take you places hard work can take you places and so as the movie begins we meet Adonis Donnie Johnson we've got a photo here of him and he is the son of a former heavyweight boxing champion he's also a young man with a troubled past you see he's struggled with feelings of abandonment and insecurity and self-worth his whole life, because he's actually, he's the child that has come about of the result of an affair. His father had been unfaithful to his wife and had him with another woman, and so Donnie struggles with these feelings of self-worth and adequacy, sufficiency. And our first sighting of him in the movie, we get this clip of him when he's about 10, 12 years old at this detention center for troubled youth, and he's causing trouble starting fights. Now, the movie fast forwards a number of years, and Donnie, who aspires to be a boxer, he finds himself at the bottom of the rung. He works an office job, nine to five, but on the weekends, he travels across the border to Mexico to fight in amateur fights in Tijuana, and he finds himself wanting to become this professional boxer, but no one wants to take him on. He goes to various gyms and trainers. He says, will you train me? Will you help me to become this professional boxer? I want to fight professionally for a living in the United States, but no one takes him on. See, he's got a reputation of being a bit of a hothead, having some internal character issues. And so he starts from the bottom, being unwanted, unclaimed. No one wants to get on his side and he begins to work his way up to the top. And of course, as most sports dramas are, the story is a journey of him making his way to the top. See, this is a story about the power and the potential of hard work to transform our lives, to transform your life, and take you places that you want to go. That's the message that, This movie is preaching that if you work hard, if you're dedicated, if you're determined, you can transform your life. As the son of two migrants, uh, this story resonates with me. My father was born the youngest of eight siblings in a poor town in Malaysia. He lived in a small kind of shopfront sized house, I guess you would call it with his seven siblings and his mother. And when he was a young teenager, he was fortunate enough to be sent over to live in Australia. He came over seeking a better life. Because his family was poor, only half his family could afford to go, so his mother stayed in Malaysia with his four older brothers. The three sisters were able to go, prioritized to have this better life, and my dad, as the youngest son, was also fortunate enough to be included in this trip. He went from living in this small shop-sized home in a poor town in Malaysia to moving to Australia, working hard in high school, eventually being able to go to uni, study medicine, and eventually run his own practice. It's a story of the power and potential of hard work to transform your life. And as we think of the scriptures and what the Bible might say about this, the Bible actually agrees. Hard work is a good thing. It's a good thing that God's word encourages us to be involved in. It has the power to transform our lives. Consider the words of the teacher in Proverbs 14. Up on the screen behind me, the teacher in Proverbs says, All hard work brings a profit, but mere talk only leads to poverty all hard work brings a profit but mere talk only leads to poverty to poverty sorry i also like the way that the message paraphrase puts this it says hard work always pays off but mere talk puts no bread on the table mere talk puts no bread on the table now I want to be clear, this is not a promise that if you work hard, you will become rich. The Proverbs is a book of truisms, which means things that are generally true. The teacher is commenting on the general pattern of life. He's saying, generally speaking, when people work hard, there will be results. If you work hard, things will happen. There will be results. There will be some form of profit, growth, advancement, gain. But if you just talk about working hard, but don't actually do anything about it, well, then there is nothing to be gained there. It's what the teacher is saying. And so as we look ahead to the rest of the year, to 2023, as as Hannah's been talking about resolutions this morning, I'm sure that many of us are aspiring to hard work. And that is a great thing to give our focus, to give our energy attention to. You see, we don't just critique movies in terms of looking at what we disagree with, but actually things that we can learn from and apply as well. But my encouragement to us as we think about hard work in the year ahead would be not to focus only on hard work in our careers, hard work in our vocations, hard work to advance and get a promotion and to see financial gain, but to also consider what hard work and growth might look like in all the areas of our lives. You see, the teacher here is primarily talking about making a livelihood, I do believe. But I believe this principle of hard work applies to every area of our life, our careers, our incomes, yes, but also our emotional life our relational lives, our spiritual lives. And here at Anchor, we care about you as a holistic person. And if you're a follower of Jesus, we care about you growing as a holistic disciple in every area of your life, becoming more like Christ. Growing, being sanctified is the theological term. And so I want to encourage some people this morning to Put your foot down on the accelerator of hard work this year, but not only in terms of your career, but in terms of the other areas of your life as well. You know, I know today that there's some people here who want to see growth in your mental health. Well, you need to work. You need to be proactive about seeking out help and growing in your awareness and putting into practice the things that you learn so that you can weather the storm better in times when resilience is... Difficult. I know there's people here today who want to grow in your relational lives, right? Some of us, our our resolution for 2023 is I wish I had better relationships. Man, I wish I had better friends. Well, sometimes in order to have better relationships, to have better friends, we actually need to start by being a better friend ourselves. If we want to experience health, profit, even in our relationships, we need to grow in our ability to be healthy in relationships, to be better friends, to be better boyfriends or girlfriends or spouses or grandparents or parents. And these are things that take hard work. Intentionality, communication, being a reliable person, not, not being guarded and having our walls up all the time, being open maybe addressing conflict that we might have to deal with in order to move forward. And I know that some of us here today want to see growth in our spiritual lives. And the truth is, for some of us, we need to stop wishing for it. We need to stop just desiring it, but actually put down the hard yards, do the hard work. Not of earning our salvation, because that's something we could never do. No, we're saved by faith, by grace alone, through what Jesus has done on the cross. But you know, in James, it says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Maybe some of us need to dust our Bibles off of our bookshelves and open them. Get in the Word, read, meditate, make it discipline of prayer, or gathering together with believers, practicing generosity, serving, all these different types of spiritual disciplines, which if we put in the hard work, we will see profit in our spiritual lives. We will see gain. We will see growth. See, Creed teaches us that hard work is good and beneficial, and the Scriptures agree. Well, the second message, let's move on to the second message that Creed preaches. And it's about the importance of having people intimately involved in your journey. The specific message, if you're taking notes, is you can't do this alone. You can't do this alone. Now, as I mentioned, Donnie, we we take our minds back to the movie. He has big dreams, right? He wants to be a professional boxer but he finds that seemingly nobody wants to train him because he's cocky, he's a hothead, he's got these issues. And so his last option is to reach out to his late father, his late father's old friend and former rival, Rocky Balboa, Sylvester Stallone, the OG. And he reaches out to him. He travels to Rocky's hometown and he asks him, to take him under his wing and to train him. I think we got a photo here of Donnie and Rocky. And of course, you would have seen them in the training montage working together, trainer and trainee. Well, no surprise, Rocky eventually agrees. And that's when Donnie's journey really takes off. So he reaps the benefits of having an experienced trainer, someone in his corner, a loyal friend, a companion, a partner for the journey who knows what he's talking about, who's been there before, who can teach him things and share guidance and wisdom and feedback. And with Rocky in his corner, Donnie is able to go further and achieve greater than he ever could by himself. See, Creed teaches us that we have limitations, that the journey of life is full of challenges, and we need the help and encouragement and guidance of others to help us, to enable us to live thriving lives, the kind of lives that we desire to live. And, you know, as I reflected on this message, I actually thought to myself, I think this is kind of, kind of, kind of counter-cultural like compared to many of the shows and movies and songs that we watch and consume and listen to, because many of the shows and movies and songs that we consume today are actually not really about depending on other people at all. A lot of them actually talk about the power of yourself. Talk about relying on yourself. You see, we live in here, 2023, Sydney in the West, We live in an individualistic hustle culture where we're taught that we can really only depend on ourselves and we can only really rely on ourselves if we want to go to the places that we want to go. See, our society tells us self-sufficiency equals strength and dependency equals weakness self-sufficiency equals strength but dependency equals weakness society says the strongest person is the one who doesn't need anyone because you're a bad insert word and you don't need anyone (laughs) right you can do it on your own you're strong enough you got the will you got all the resources that you need. And if you need people, what's wrong with you? So weak. So insufficient. But how does this square with the teachings of our faith? Does this align with what we profess to believe? Is the Christian life supposed to be one characterized by independence and self-sufficiency? Well, come with me to Acts chapter 2. Come with me to Acts chapter 2 and consider this description of the early church. Acts chapter 2, and I'll be reading from the NLT translation because I just, I like how it makes it really plain here for us. This is the description of the early church. Verse 42, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. Listen to this, verse 44. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together, not alone, they worshipped together together. At the temple, each day met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared, once again, a collective word, shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. See, this is a picture If you're not too familiar with this passage, this is a picture, a description of the early church. Literally, the very first followers of Jesus, after Jesus came and he lived on earth and he died on the cross and he was raised to life. And then he ascended into heaven to go and be with the Father. And these are his people. This is the first church. This is us, right? Thousands of years ago. And this is the picture of the first followers of Jesus. What do you notice? What did you notice as you listened or read along? What do you notice as you perhaps read along now? Well, it's a profound picture of togetherness. In verse 42, we're told, have a look there, verse 42. We're told that the believers are discipled together as they devote themselves to teaching, fellowship, food, and prayer. Or verses 44 to 46, they tell us that the believers were in the habit of sharing their resources and meeting regularly to worship and practice hospitality. That's dependence. They depended on each other. Now, I don't believe that this description here, that this picture is here for us as a command. I don't believe that God is saying to us through this, you need to live identical lives to the early church. You need to look exactly the same in all the finer details. No, we live in a different time. We're in a different context. There are some things which are simply different in our society. But what I do believe this picture is here for is to show us principles that we ought to live by like maybe not every single little detail because I know that some of you have to go to work tomorrow and so we can't literally be meeting in the temple every day but this pattern right if we, if we say what are the gen, what are the big like what's the point here what, what are they doing what does this show about their heart for God and for each other and their camaraderie and their unity and their dependency that's what we're meant to take away the pattern that they laid for us. You see, our world teaches us to be independent, but the way of Jesus patterned by the early church is one of interdependence. That means mutual dependence on each other. You with the person next to you in this church today. Me with you, you with me, us with each other. Now for a number of decades, you know, in the West, we have described faith as a personal relationship with Jesus, a personal relationship with Jesus. And I, th- I know why we have done this. I think the people who kind of coined this phrase or the people who, who, who speak this phrase, and even I speak it at times, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. We do this because we're trying to show that faith in Christ, it's not about religion. It's about relationships. It's not about about ticking the boxes and doing everything right to be acceptable to God. No, it's about relationship, believing in Jesus, and enjoying fellowship with Him. That's why we say Christianity, faith, is a personal relationship with Jesus. But I think that one of the unintentional consequences of this, one of the unintended effects, is that it can unintentionally communicate a version of Christianity that is highly individualistic, that is incredibly private and detached from community. Right? An expression of faith which is essentially Jesus and me. Jesus and me. And because my faith, because I understand and I view faith through the lens of, well, it's a personal relationship with Jesus. I begin to believe, well, I don't need other people then. Because it's just about me and him. And actually, other people don't get to know what's going on in my life because that's private. It's not about them. It's just about me and Jesus. And the problem with this apart from not being biblical, is that many of us end up treating church or community not as a community to belong to, not as a community to be intimately known in, but as a religious service that we can show up and use in order to to meet our desire of feeling spiritual or connected to God. We use sunday gatherings or gospel communities or christian fellowship not not as a community to intimately belong to but kind of as this thing that when we go there we'll fill up our quota of ding. i feel just enough connected to god now and now i can go back into hibernation don't really need those people they must not need me either right what a lie what a lie So that's why we think that it doesn't matter when we don't show up to things, when we just go MIA, we drop off the radar for weeks or months at a time without saying a word. That's why we shrink back from being fully known and letting others see the truest versions of ourselves, not the Sunday best versions that don't have any problems and any issues, got the perfect life, perfect wife, perfect family, no problems here. Praise God. See, one of the phrases we say here at Anchor is we say, church isn't an event to attend. It's a family to belong to. But I wonder if we need to start saying, church isn't a religious service to use or consume. No, it's a family to belong to. To quote New York-based pastor, Rick Velotus, we've got a quote coming up on the screen here. He says, the Bible is more communal than individual. Jesus does not teach us to pray my Father. No, he teaches us to pray our Father. Paul uses the phrase, our Lord, 53 times, and my Lord, only once, in the entire New Testament. Jesus is my personal Savior, is not found in Scripture. No, we are the people of God. We belong to each other. See, Creed teaches us that we can't do it alone. And the Bible tells us the same thing about our lives and about our journey of faith, that we belong to each other. And not only do we belong to each other, but we actually need each other. Like Donnie in Creed, who has this end destination that he wants to get to, becoming a professional boxer. Each of us has a journey to travel. And if you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus, then he has put a calling on your life. He's prepared. Ephesians 2.10 says, good works for you. He's prepared them in advance for you to do. And you're called to persevere, to endure to the end. We have a calling to fulfill. And if we're going to make it, to the ends and remain faithful to God and live lives of flourishing and blessing and fruitfulness, we desperately need each other. So how do we live this out? How do we live this out? Because you might be sitting there like, wow, I never thought about it like that before. But I think I agree. But what what do we do? What are some tangible things that we can do? And I want to give you two things to reflect on for this year, for now, when it comes to living this out. See, there's two things that you need to give people in your life. The first one is proximity. You need to give people proximity. It means distance, right? People need to be around you. You need to give people proximity. And the second thing you need to give them is access. Proximity, and access. You see it's not enough for us to come semi-regularly on a Sunday to show up and kind of present ourselves on a relatively like superficial level and just share niceties with people and expect that we're going to experience the blessings and the fruit of community. It's not enough to be vaguely known by a handful of people. That's not the vision of the church, the vision for the church, that you need to give people proximity. It's one thing, and you need to give people access. That when I'm around you, I actually let you in. I actually be honest about what's going on in my life. Not that I need to be like, you know, the oversharer who's like gushing like everything in my life, every person fix me, all of my problems. No, but not hiding. Right? Not kind of putting up these walls and living behind this facade of self-sufficiency and self-strength. And so maybe this is the year that you commit to being regular at GC. Like if you did that one thing, how much would that change your life? Or maybe you're already regular. Maybe this is the year that you commit to being more open. Right? You've been regular for a while. People know you. You enjoy the conversation and the dinner and you learn from others and you're blessed, maybe this is the the year that you let your walls down and you let people in. Maybe this is the year that you commit to praying for and seeking out a few brothers or sisters that you can meet with regularly to share your heart, to pray with them. Maybe this is the year that you seek out a mentor or a disciple. Like Rocky for Creed in the movie, a Mature man or woman with faith, with more experience, who can help you learn, who can give you guidance. And not only seek them out, but you give them permission to speak into your life with the truth. You give them access. I know as a fact that there is wise, beautiful, incredible people in this church family who would love to sow into you. If you would let them know that you are looking for that. See, many of us want the benefits of community, but often we get in our own way. Often we're unwilling to do what's necessary to put ourselves in a position where we can receive those blessings. I mean, I think the most common one, which I find just observed over time through conversations and in myself as well, and my friends, people around me, is Many of us want these connections. Many of us want these relationships. Many of us want these people in our corner, but only if the other person initiates. So I want a mentor or a discipler, or I want people to pray with, or I want deep community in my GC, but only when someone else provides that for me. And maybe this is the year where we stop perpetually waiting like, that's not meant to make you feel guilty. That's meant to say, that's just not productive. Like, that doesn't lead anywhere good. You just end up, keep waiting, keep waiting, keep waiting, eventually become disillusioned, disappointed, maybe even bitter. And people might not even have known that you had a need because you never said anything. Maybe this is the year to stop waiting and to initiate. So message number two, you can't do this alone. And our final message from the movie Creed this morning you can overcome every obstacle in your life. And this is the meaty one, right? Like this is like, you know, the hard work and the training, the relationship, the community. Like that's, that's kind of secondary. That's in the movie. You can observe it. But the whole thrust of the movie, the whole kind of inner narrative of, of belief for Donnie, who's the main character, is this message. A message of the power of self-belief and inner strength. You can overcome every obstacle in your life. And this plays out in two ways. Firstly, for Donnie, he starts working hard, right? He's at the bottom of the rung. He starts training. Eventually, he gets challenged to a fight by the light heavyweight champion of the world. He's severely overmatched. He's definitely overpowered. But what's going to make him ready? The training montage, right? Right? So we get Meek Mill in the background, and he's doing skip rope and pull-ups. And Donnie gets himself game fit, game ready, and he is ready to go toe-to-toe with the champ. And he almost beats him. And even though it's technically a loss by points, in the movie, it very much feels like a victory. It's a moral victory. Like, he has arrived on the scene. The champ, like, whispers in his ear, you're the next big thing, bro. Like, you got this. Donnie has overcome. He has arrived. He climbed that mountain. And we also see it in Rocky. You might have seen in the clip that you know, there was that scene of Rocky, he was sick. And that's because as Donnie is training, Rocky is fighting a battle of his own. A battle with a recent blood cancer diagnosis. And Rocky fights. He looks deep within himself and to the help of Donnie. And he manages to get the upper hand. He manages to beat this thing, to put it on the back end. And the movie ends with a hopeful future for both of our two main characters who have seemingly conquered their giants, overcoming the obstacles in their life through hard work, inner belief, and determination. It sounds appealing. And this is the underlying message of many movies that we watch, right? What's the message? If you just believe in yourself and you work hard, you can overcome every obstacle in your life. No challenge will be too great for you. Nothing. Just believe. Give it your all. Because within you are the resources and within you is the power to overcome everything. And the question is, is this actually true? Is this actually true? Because we can sell movies, right? We can sell movies with this message, but can we build our lives on this message? Can we build our lives on this message? Do we really have within ourselves for you today the power and the potential to overcome every challenge and every obstacle that life throws at you? And Sadly, I regret to inform you, I think the answer is actually no. I think the answer is actually no. Now don't get me wrong, we have tremendous resources within ourselves. We have a tremendous capacity to overcome, tremendous capacity for resilience. But there are some things in life that we simply cannot overcome in and through ourselves alone. You know, where does this message leave the person who's been working tirelessly in their job for years, but is treated unfairly and unjustly by their superiors time and time again? Where does this leave that person? They're working hard, right? They've got determination. Where does this message leave the individual who's been struggling with depression or anxiety or maybe and anxiety for years chronically? And they want nothing more. Like their inner belief is off the charts. They want nothing more than to be freed of this. And yet they haven't experienced this victory yet. Where does this message leave the parents? Who out of the blue experience a miscarriage. Or perhaps the son or daughter who loses a parent to a cancer diagnosis younger than they thought They would. Where does this leave those people? And this is the truth. The truth is there are some obstacles in life that we simply do not have the power to overcome within ourselves. Regardless of how hard we work, regardless of how much grit and resolve and determination we apply to the situation, Willpower and inner belief can only carry us so far. And, and some of you here today, you know that because you've experienced this firsthand. And some of you, me saying this makes you angry because you're like, nah, man, shut up. I can. I'm strong enough. And my heart actually breaks a bit for you because I think if you genuinely believe that, you haven't yet come to the point of experiencing something that you actually cannot control, that you cannot defeat. And chances are it's probably coming at some point. And my heart breaks for you because that's going to be hard. See, human beings, we have an incredible ability to problem solve and overcome. We are incredibly resilient, but there are some challenges in life that will bring us to our knees. That is the truth. There are some challenges in life that will cause us to fall to our knees and, and cause us to cry out to God or the universe or whatever, whatever thing it is that you believe in here today. And no hyped up training montage, no amount of reps at the gym, no amount of self-determination and belief is going to make that situation change or go away. So the question is, where do we turn in moments of adversity. Jake, you can come up. Where is the power to overcome every obstacle in our life? Where is that power if it's not found within ourself and within our own resources and our own ability to grit our teeth and push through? Where is that power? Well, consider these words from the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8. He says, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us? If we have trouble or calamity, which means disaster, or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death, as the Scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. Verse 37, no, Paul says, despite all these things, catch this. Overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Overwhelming victory. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life. Neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, this is where we look. This is where we look in times of adversity. When life has brought us to our knees, and and unlike the movie Creed says, we actually cannot overcome. There's nothing within ourselves that can move us past that obstacle. This is where we turn to. We look to Jesus. We look to Jesus. And specifically, Paul says, we look to His love. We look to his love for us. We look to the man who loved us so much that he would come down into our planet, onto our earth, to walk among us, to live a perfect life despite our imperfections, to go to the cross to die for us, to die a sinner's death, though he never sinned. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus If you're here today, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. This is the message of the gospel. It's not about good works. It's not about good deeds. It's not about morality. It's not about doing enough things to make you good enough and acceptable to God so that He would love you. No, it's about a God who physically went and died on a cross because He loves you. He loves you. And Paul says nothing, nothing can ever separate us from that love. Not life, not death, not angels, not demons or any kind of power. Not fear, not worry, not sickness, not disease, not loss, not pain. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. His love for me. His love for you. Each and every person here today you see Creed says you have everything that you need to overcome the obstacles of life if you just look within yourself if you just muster it up within yourself you have it there you just need to use it no the gospel says Jesus in the gospel says I have already overcome this life and all of its trials and all of its tribulations and every trouble that you will face so no matter what you go through no matter what comes across your path, no matter what obstacles you can or cannot move, your present and your future is secure in the unchanging reality that I love you. That I have loved you. That I love you now. That I will love you forever. That's the message of the gospel. That's the better truer message. The good news of Jesus speaks into Creed's message of self-determination and self-willpower. That's the message that we as Christians, we build our lives upon. We don't have to overcome everything. And don't get me wrong, we believe in a God who moves mountains. So pray, believe, exercise your faith. Jesus says. Continue to pray like the persistent. I'm not preaching a defeatist gospel. I'm not saying don't try, don't pray, don't believe, don't have faith. But what I am saying is if you come to that place, when you reach that place where that obstacle cannot be moved, the pressure is not on you. You can exhale. You can be at peace because Jesus has already overcome. He loves you. You can rest in the certainty, in the security of His love. And so if you want to stand to your feet, I want to pray for us this morning. Please stand. And we will face obstacles and challenges in the year ahead. And some will be minor. And by the grace of God, we'll be able to resolve them, overcome them. And others will feel, perhaps even at the time, they will feel outside of our control And the question is, how will we respond in those moments? Where will we turn? Where will we find the strength and power to overcome? See, our world would tell us to look inwards at our own resources. But our Lord and Savior, He says, no, look at me, child. Look at me. I'm here. Look at what I've done. Remember who I am. Rest, rest in the certainty and security of my love for you. That transcends every circumstance. That is true and unchanging, unwavering, faithful, no matter what happens. And so, Father, we we bring ourselves before you, Lord. You're always here, and we commit ourselves and the year ahead that we have to you. And Lord, we pray for, for amazing years, Lord. We, we pray and, and we want to ask for good gifts from you, Lord, for the year ahead. We're believing for blessing. We're believing for fruitfulness, growth in our lives. But God, if those storms come, Lord, when those storms come, if there are obstacles that we face that we cannot overcome, Lord, would we not live by the lie that we have what we need inside of us, Lord, in, our, in and of ourselves, but... Would we look to you? Would our faith not falter to the point of ruin? Would we not be destroyed because we have built our lives on the foundations of our own strength? But Would we see our good, faithful, sovereign shepherd whose love for us is unchanging, is perfect, whose love we can never be separated from? And so Lord, I pray for each and every person here today, Lord. I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ, for the people who are followers of Jesus, who call themselves part of this church, Lord. God, root your love so deep in our hearts, that it would be the only thing that we fall back on. That it would be our that it would be our, our lifeboat, Lord, that it would be our safety net, that it would be the place that we turn, that we might not be shaken that we might testify to your goodness every day. Praise and worship you, God. We thank you for this in Jesus' name.